everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. special guest speaker, you know, what gets me excited about having him come and share the word this morning is because he's been a part of the for our church, but for me personally. Um, Pastor Brian, who pastors at Bethel, Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio, he, before he was Pastor Brian, he was my friend BT. And uh, we were roommates together. And I remember sharing sharing a room in, in the basement of our campus pastor's house and probably eating, but just dreaming about what God would do, dreaming big dreams. And as we've been since 2001, when we really got to know each other, it's been such a joy just to see the journey that God's taken us and even more so to see that we get to now build the kingdom in the Midwest together. And uh, Bethel, Cincinnati has not just been distant cousins. They have been actively involved and engaged in supporting us and to encouraging us. They provided us with the trailer that we used as we started and we're getting going. These chairs were recommended. I literally called up their guys like, hey, what chairs you got? He told me, I said, boom, we're getting those chairs. We need that anointing. And so, uh, but now, you know, we've had the trailer, we've had the chairs, but now we really get the grace of God through Pastor Brian from Bethel, Cincinnati. So can you please give a rousing hand and applause and welcome to my friend, Pastor Brian Taylor. Come on, y'all, we do better than that. Come on. What's going on, City of Lights? First of all, greetings from down 74. I send greetings from Bethel, Cincinnati, and I have to tell you, I was sharing this with the team that was here at 7.30 a.m. this morning, setting up and getting prepared, um, just how excited our church is for what God is doing here. And um, as much as they like me in Cincinnati, they really like me coming here to support, and they've been asking, when are you going out to Indianapolis? So they love what God is doing here. There's a, an excitement um, on, on that. And it's not just from church to church, our church being excited about this church. Um, by the way, congrats on a year anniversary. I've been on this church planting journey, and I just want you to understand that is a testimony. Amen. Just simply means I agree. And... And one of the things that I can honestly say that it's not just an excitement from our church to your church, but really from my wife, Siobhan, and I to Pastor John and Kelly. I mean, we, as he was saying, we go back and we have history. In fact, it's a, it's a gross understatement to say that we have history uh, because you different people. This was my last roommate before I got married. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, <laughs> hallelujah. Uh, and I enjoyed being his, but, you know, um, anyway, I just, I, I love uh, Pastor John and Kelly. I love their family, and I was just really getting so deeply encouraged, and when I was looking and seeing Isaiah and my oldest, Elijah, up here, 
I think Aaron is up here too, just worshiping God together. I was peeking. I was worshiping, but I was peeking as well. And just getting an opportunity to see them. And uh, I just have to tell you that I am so encouraged and uh, honored to be able to be here with you. So with that said, I want to show you real quick. I have a picture of my family, and uh, I want to show you my crew over here. So um, my oldest is actually here with us, but this is my wife, Siobhan. Um, I went to college, and I married a better athlete than myself, and um, the grace of God is on her life to minister as well. She's, she's amazing, as you would expect me to say, and it's true. And my oldest son, Elijah, is here as well. found out that the YMCA meets in your church. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> he was like, wow, the Y meets in your church. Um, and then <laughs> we have Sanaya over there, and they're actually a little bit older than this now. And then the, the little one over there, that is Josh Taylor. So in each city, when we were in Nashville, we had Elijah. When we were in Orlando, we had Sanaya. And when we were in Cincinnati, we had Joshua. And so I think this is going to be the last city. Uh, so, so anyway, well, I've been, um, and by the way, it is good to see Rachel Camillo. Rachel and I, we got some, some history as well back in Orlando, Florida, and so, and so many people here. I've been given the, the, the wonderful privilege of concluding this series, is Greater. And to do that, I'm going to have an opportunity to share a classic story. And this is a story that's loved not only in the church, but really in our culture. And this is the story of David and Goliath. Yeah. So, so you think about it, a lot of times when people think of the story of David and Goliath, they think of the story of the underdog. This is the story that you tell when the small business is getting ready to take on the corporate giant. Or this is the story that you tell when you're in the locker room with a team and you're getting ready to play Alabama. <laughs> and you're like, okay. This is... This is the, the story that we like to think of as the underdog story. I mean, think about how compelling it is. A young teenage boy takes on this giant, and I know this is a bit of a spoiler alert for some of you, but David wins. And I, I want to share this story, and hopefully whether you've heard this story all throughout your childhood, whether you're fairly unfamiliar with this story, is that we're able to see the story of David and Goliath through fresh eyes. I think what we're going to find is that it hits a little bit closer to home than perhaps we've realized. Um, so turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. I'm going to start towards the end of the story, and then throughout the, the message, I'm going to work my way uh, from the beginning. So we're going to start at verse 48. I'm going to look in verse, up to verse 52. It says, Then it happened... When the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. 
the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. We'll stop there. Let's, let's pray as we start together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are greater. So I'm asking that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, that we would walk out of here not just better informed, but transformed. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I want you guys to think of a time when your confidence was shaken. I want you to think about a time when your confidence was shaken, and maybe a couple in here would say, well, I've not really experienced my confidence being shaken. But So, so for the other 99% that wants to be honest, think of a time where something that maybe you thought you had under control, you found out that you weren't really having it under control. Perhaps you've had times, I know as a student, there's been times where I thought, man, I've aced this exam. And then you got your results back and your confidence in your academics was shaken. Perhaps you've had times even with things in your life. Uh, I've, I've played sports for a good portion of my life, and I know what it's like to be on a football field and have your confidence shaken. But think about a time when your confidence was really shaken. How did you respond in that moment? See, many times when our confidence is shaken, what happens is fear begins to leak out. And put yourself in that mind space. That's really where the army of Israel found themselves at the beginning of this story in chapter 17. Their confidence is shaken. And what provides for the context of their confidence being shaken is that they find themselves at a battle and at a standstill. They are on a, in a valley called Elah, which is an important territory. But this was an important territory because whoever owned this had entryway into the countryside of Israel. And so this was an important battle. And so you had um, their arch enemies, the, the Philistines, they're on one side of the valley. And then you had the Israelite army on the other side of the battle, and, uh, other side of the valley. And they're at a standstill because they strikes first is going to endure more casualties than the next. And so they proposed something that was pretty common in their day. It was called a representative battle. And in a representative battle, the, the basic idea is this. We'll take our biggest, baddest against your biggest, baddest, and the winner takes all. Now, this was actually a pretty efficient way to do battle because it saved a lot of bloodshed. And whoever wins, the other army would have to serve them. The problem is, is that the Philistines had somebody in their camp named Goliath. And you know Goliath is bad because the Bible takes four verses just to describe how intimidating he is. Now let's look here in verses 4 through 7 and what it says about Goliath. Here's what it says. It says, then a champion, or verse 4, then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed five, um, I'm sorry, I lost, which weighed 5,000. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. It was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spirit weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. So I, I just want to put this in perspective. A cubit is like the tip of your finger to your elbow. So using these measurements, 
Goliath would have been over nine feet tall. Some people have, some scholars have later came back and said, well, maybe he was more like six, nine instead of nine feet. I just want to let you know, either way, he was huge. <laughs> six, nine is big in our day, let alone in their day. But, but more than likely with these measurements, he was over nine feet tall, and then it said that he had all this armor. He had the most high-tech armor of his day. It would have weighed in our measurements 126 pounds. So that's some people in here. You would have been his armor that he had on. Now, on top of that, he had a javelin, and, the, and the, the, the tip of it was 15 pounds, and then there was a guy who walked in front of him who had a full-size shield. I would hate that job. I mean, like, what's your job? My job is to walk in front of the person that's going to get shot at, right? I mean, on top of this, he was huge. He had the most high-tech armor of and he had a nasty attitude. And all this combined equals one thing, intimidation. Goliath was intimidating. And he would offer challenges to the people. You see here in verse 10 and 11, it says this. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Verse 11 says, as we get in verse 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly, what? Afraid. They were afraid. Their confidence had been shaken. Now they find themselves in an impossible situation because now they've got to face this giant who's intimidating and he's defying them. And it wasn't just a one-time challenge. If you look a little bit further in verse 16, what it tells us is that Goliath made this um, defying challenge twice a day for 40 days in a row. Could you imagine what it was like as soon as you would, could you imagine getting up every morning? As soon as you get up in the morning, you hear the voice of intimidation reminding you of your inadequacies, reminding you that you're not good enough to be able to deal with what you gotta face and reminding you of just how difficult of a situation you're in. And before you go to bed, you're reminded of the same thing over and over and over again. In fact, the reality is that some of you probably don't have to imagine too because you know what it feels like to wake up in the morning and soon as before you, your feet hit the floor out of your bed, you are reminded and taunted by the giants in your life, reminding you of your inadequacies, of your failures, of your deficiencies, and every single day you live with that. This is what the Israelite army was dealing with during this time, and this is why their confidence was shaken. And so by the time we get to verse 12, they're in need of a hero time we get to verse 12, this is when we're introduced to David in the story. Now, David, this is not our first time hearing about David. In fact, in chapter 16, what we see is that David was actually anointed to be the next king by the prophet Samuel. And so guess what he did? He went back to tending sheep. There's a message in this, right? I got a great future. I got a great promise. Great. Pick up some chairs. Um, so, <laughs> and so, <laughs> I'll keep going, I'll keep going. And so, so David was sent from his father, Jesse, to go to the battlefield, which would have been about 14 miles away, to check on how his older brothers were doing who were at the battle, and to also bring the food. So by the time we're in 
David doesn't come into the story first introduced as a hero or as a warrior. He's introduced as a delivery boy. He's bringing food to his brothers to check on their welfare and to see how they're doing. And so I want to pick up in verse 22 to see what happens as David comes and sees his brother here at the battle. And let's notice what David says, what happens here and starting in verse 22. It says, then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he, as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these same words and David heard them. So this time, see, everybody else had been hearing these taunts. David hears them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him. Since they fled from him, let me keep reading here. In verse, where am I at? I'm get there. They fled from him and were greatly, there goes that word again. You see that, that, that idea of fear continuing to come? And then it goes on to say here, but they said to, to, to David, have you seen the man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel, and, he will be, and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father in Israel. That basically means that he's not going to have to pay taxes. You know they wanted to get rid of David when they're willing to take away your taxes. This is how bad... Listen, you can marry my daughter. I'll give you riches. You don't even have to pay taxes here. Just get rid of Goliath. You ever have an issue or a problem in your life that you have no answers for? This is where Israel now finds himself. And David hears this. And so David begins to ask around about what's going to be done for the person who takes this Goliath out. He begins asking around and asking around. Word gets back to David's brother, Eliab. Eliab, we are introduced to him in 1 Samuel chapter 16 as well. And he is somebody who had the but didn't have the heart of a king. And we're going to see, get a little clue into why here in a moment. But when Eliab, David's oldest brother, hears that David is beginning to inquire about Goliath, I want you to notice what he says. Verse 28, it says here, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You guys catch that dig, right? <laughs> Basically, go home and take care of the sheep. Not even just the sheep, but the few sheep. And he goes on to say this. <laughs> he says, um, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, was it not just a question? And I love verse 30. I want you guys to catch this in verse 30. Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. Did you guys catch that? David didn't spend a lot of energy trying to fight with Eliab. See, here's the problem. 
See, if David had spent too much energy trying to fight Eliab, he would have forgotten and lost his energy to fight the real battle, which was Goliath. And some of us can find ourselves so busy trying to fight Eliab that we forget that there's a Goliath that God has called us to fight. And so he doesn't really pay much attention to his brother. He goes and he begins to ask other questions. And finally, word gets back to the king, and his name was Saul. So King Saul calls and wants to check this guy out to see who this man is who's asking about going to this battle. He calls David to him. Two, we see what David says to him. I want us to check out what David says. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. So then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. Now, not only does David have to deal with the negativity of his brother, he also has to deal with the doubt of his king. So now he's dealing with this. And, and there's an underlying question that is in this story that if you catch it, you'll ask it as well. Why didn't King Saul step up to the battle? 1 Samuel chapter 10 tells us that he was head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel, and he had a history of being a warrior. So if there was anybody in Israel that seemed to have a good shot of taking on Goliath, it would seem that Saul would be the one to step up and do it. But the problem is that Saul had sin in his own life. And because Saul was not willing to take on Goliath because of the issues in his own heart that he had not dealt with, now it's left to the next generation to have to rise up and fight their, their giants. If I could speak to some of us in here, I want you to understand that there are some giants that if you don't deal with, you're going to leave them for the next generation to have to fight. And now what do we find is that Saul is now allowing his insecurity to try to rub off on everybody else. And I'm so glad in this story that David doesn't allow that insecurity to rub off on him because he responds back in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his, your, your, your servant was, um, was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked um, uh, after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Oh, I love David. I, I, I love David here. Now, listen, when I lived in Florida, we, we had a garden to our pool, and our, our family was scared, and, and I had to take out the snake, the garden snake. It depends on who I'm telling the story to, the snake gets bigger and bigger. And I got to tell you, I felt like a hero in my house for weeks. This man took out a bear and a lion, not in long, but he grabbed them by the beard. I don't want to grab anything by the beard. <laughs> he grabs them by the beard. Now listen, this is the same David who wrote things like, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
you know, yeah, yeah, that David. That's the same David that will write you a psalm and grab a lion by the beard and kill him. This is a bad man. And he's telling them, listen, God has helped me conquer the bear. He's helped me conquer the lion. I'm going to take this Philistine out. And then I want you to listen to the faith of Saul after this. He says, go, <laughs> and may the Lord be with you. Can I translate that for you in, in, in the Brian Taylor version? All right, if you want to go, go ahead, but good luck. <laughs> God bless you. And now <laughs> David finds himself ready to go to battle this giant. Now, there's an interesting exchange that's hard for me to pass up as a preacher, but I encourage you to read it on your own, starting at verse 39. But what happens is Saul, the king, tries to give David his armor. David realizes that the armor is not working for him. And so he goes with a slingshot, and he grabs five smooth stones. Now, don't think of a slingshot in the terms of like a little kid toy. It was actually a weapon of warfare. It could kill somebody up to 250 feet away with accuracy. And David was skilled in that. And so instead of trying to mimic how somebody else would have gone to the fight that was too insecure to go to the fight, David said, you know what? I'm going to use the weapons that God has given me. There is a message in that. So David goes to the battle line. And then I want to pick up here in verse 44 what happens when he faces Goliath. So we get to verse 44. It says here, the Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beast of the field. By the way, if you ever want a lesson in trash talking one-on-one, read this. This is like Mayweather McGregor, you know, times 10. They are talking trash with one another here. Now, David has a little trash talking of his own. In verse 45, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. Yeah. Woo. Don't y'all feel something when you read that? I love this right here. Now, David did not see himself as the underdog. Other people might look at this story as David the underdog. David was looking at Goliath as if he was the underdog because David understood who was on his side. Yeah. He begins telling this talking this trash, and then it happens. Verse 48, it says, Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face face to the ground. The battle was over when it began. I, I want you to understand, this was not like an epic battle. It only took two verses for David to take him down. Now, it took four verses just to describe how intimidating the giant is. It only took two verses for David to kill and destroy the giant. 
If you had watched this on pay-per-view, you would have been greatly disappointed. <laughs> he took the stone. He killed him. And then it shares a little detail in this story that you don't really read in the children's version of the story. David takes, the, he stands over Goliath. Goliath is laying dead, uh, laying down unconscious because he got hit with the rock in the middle of his forehead. He takes Goliath's sword. David was a bad man. He took Goliath's sword. He severs his head. I'm glad the children have left. And then I want us to notice what happened. It says, verse 50, thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Did I give you? Okay. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. And it says, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. I want you to think about that. Now, when we looked at the men of Israel earlier in the story, what did you notice about them? They were doing what? They were hiding in fear. And now, all of a sudden, they got courage because David has just taken out Goliath. Could you imagine them sitting at the dinner table after this battle was over, bragging to their family, honey, you should have seen me out there. They were running. I was chasing them down. I probably took out about three on my own right here. You know, it's like, if you look at the story, you're like, hold up, dude. You, you were scared until somebody took them. Courage of David. You see, these men were able to have courage as well because courage is contagious. When I look at this story, years, there's so many preaching points and learning points from this. Here with David, because I'm like, man, God, you've called me as well to be courageous, run to the battle line to face the giants of my day, the giants of my generation. And I look at that and I say, man, that's what I'm called to be. But as I'm honest, more recently as I've examined this story, there are people in this story that I identify with, but sadly enough, I identify a little bit more with the Israelites. And what I've realized is that while there's some characteristics and traits here that I'm called to emulate as I look at the story of David, is that David doesn't foreshadow our lives as much as he foreshadows Jesus. Because Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the David who ran to the battle line and took on Goliath, the giant of death, fear, hell, and the grave, and overcame. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, it talks about the fact that um, Adam and, and Eve, when they sinned, our, our, our forefathers, when they sinned against God, you know what they did? They covered themselves with fig leaves and they hid from the presence of God. And it later tells us when he's, Adam's talking to God, he says, I was afraid. And you know what? When Adam and Eve were covering themselves, hiding in fear from God, 
we, all of humanity, was hiding with them. Fearful of the reality of our sin and the consequences of our sin and death, hell, and the grave. And we were fearful to do anything about it, intimidated our confidence. Here's the good news. The gospel is the good news that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. We were supposed to die in our place. And because Jesus was willing to go on the cross, he took on the giant of death in the grave. But instead of taking up weapons to defeat the enemy, he laid his life down. Three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead. Every Sunday when we come to celebrate, it's a reminder on Sunday morning that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, we are no longer needing to live in fear. And I love what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 through 57. It says this. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Everybody say, thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus ran to the battle line. He overcame as the better David. We who were in fear, we who were in sin, we who were in bondage were hiding. And Jesus said, I will do for you that which you were unable to do for yourself. And Jesus took it on. So now we no longer have to stand and live in fear and live intimidated with our confidence shaken. We can live in confidence that there is a king who has overcome and his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is greater. He is greater. He is greater. So here's the question for us today. If Jesus has already severed the head of the enemy, why do some of us still live in hiding and live in fear and allow the power of shame to still overcome our lives when Jesus has already overcome it? The only reason why we would do that is because we really don't believe that the giant has been taken out. Now, just because Goliath was taken out did not mean that there weren't any more Philistines left. But the Philistines were left so the people of Israel could go and slay them. It was a fixed fight. It was a fixed fight. I want to pray for us here today that God would call any of us today who find ourselves in hiding, that find ourselves in fear and shame. By the reality of our lives and the shame of our sin and the guilt that we would realize as we turn to Jesus that he has already overcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you sent your, your, your son, Jesus. Lived the sinless life that we could not live, but died the death that we were supposed to die in our place. That three days later, 
Jesus, you rose again, proving that you truly are the Son of God. Hope, forgiveness for anyone that would turn from their sin and turn towards you in faith. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Lord, I pray for the people in here today that find themselves living and hiding and in fear. I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know the hope of our God. I pray, Lord, for those that that maybe they've, they've heard stories about Jesus, but they've never truly trusted him. I pray that today that Jesus, as the greater David, would become more real in their hearts and minds, and that there would be a faith to put their hope and their trust in you. I thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for what you have done, what you have done on our behalf. Lord, I pray that as we draw near to you, Lord, that as we receive your love and your forgiveness, as we receive the victory that you have won, but I'm asking, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to look at the enemy that has been defeated. And Lord, that courage, even as Pastor Brian said, Lord, that courage is contagious. Lord, that our courage is not based upon what we can do and in our own strength. It's not based upon our righteousness. It's not based upon our might. It's not based upon our prowess or our religious acumen. But our courage is based upon your goodness and your faithfulness and your righteousness and your uh, love and your affection and your mercy and your goodness and your grace that has been made readily available for us, Lord. So we make you our boast. We make you our boast. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.